0: If I was to put the microphone here, and click my fingers, and instantaneously a full-grown massive eucalyptus tree appeared right here before me, you'd freak out, right? You'd be like, oh my god, what the hell just happened? Who is this guy? Like, you, you'd probably go home and describe what you saw as a miracle, correct? Welcome on back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. I'm your host, Dan Palmer, and this is episode number 16. This one's a short one, it's only 22 minutes or something, and it's a talk I gave. I, I just recorded it just in case it was usable, and it seemed to come up all right. So last weekend, uh, there's a magazine called Dumbo Feather, and they have a podcast and whatnot, and I, incidentally, I recorded a conversation with David Hongren last week for the Dumbo Feather podcast, so I'll link to that when it comes out. But they asked me to come and give a talk on around permaculture and farming It was pretty vague, the, my brief But a talk for half an hour on or so at this farm festival they were holding On a lovely property down on something called the Mornington Peninsula Here in Victoria, Australia And so I showed up and, and gave, a, gave, gave this talk And it was fun, you know, there was a bit of interactivity as you'll hear with the audience and uh and uh it was a chance for me to try and communicate with a general audience some of the stuff that lights me up fires me up around um mimicking natural process inside our work as permaculture designers as we develop landscapes etc anyway check it out see what you make of it and i'll possibly not see you again at the end usually at this point i say i'll check in with you again at the end but i think today i won't i'll just it'll just stop so I'll say now website's making permaculture stronger net check it out if you want and uh, catch you in the next episode okay bye bye all right so uh, Nathan introduced me I've been involved in permaculture about 14 years I teach and write and podcast and stuff but um, do a lot of consulting one of my favorite types of consultancy is supporting people on small or large blocks of land kind of holding their hand and uh, guide, giving them some guidance or mentorship through the process of figuring out how to develop that land, where to put driveways and houses and roads and trees and chickens and guinea pigs or whatever the case may be. And we're chatting about permaculture today, so I'll thought sort of flesh out that beautiful definition a little bit. Permaculture, a short definition that I like is that permaculture is a design system for sustainable living and land use. It was originated about 40 years ago, but the way I see it, it's still radical you might think, 40 years ago, shivers. Sounds a bit old fashioned. It's still radical, and I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. One thing permaculture invites us to do, it's, quite, it's, it's broad, but a couple of things that are really important inside the permaculture agenda are two things that from Mother Earth's perspective, from Guy's perspective, make the biggest difference. One of them is the decisions you make about the, the food that you put in your mouth, and one is the decisions you make about what comes out of your rear end. I was thinking this morning, if you're in a situation like this, if, you, if your food's coming from a garden like this and you're using toilets like the toilets here, what you're doing is you're closing a loop, you know, literally closing a nutrient loop where the nutrients are flying from the ground into the food and from the food into your mouth and into your body and some of them are flying out of your rear end and perhaps through some sort of composting system and eventually back into the soil. What's going on there? literally, is that you are threading your life back into the fabric of Mother Earth. And I was thinking, hang on a second, what's spirituality? Like, it seems to be something about becoming less separate from the cosmos and all that, right? And I was imagining someone who was in a hurry, I don't know, processing or putting out the beautiful compost they'd they'd made from this process. Maybe they're in a hurry to get to the ashram or to the yoga class or to the meditation retreat. I was thinking, hey, you can just slow down what you're doing is really spiritual you're literally reconnecting becoming less separate with the, with the whole a big part of permaculture is this idea of using conscious design to shape the landscapes we live in and the way that we live in those landscapes and it's got you could say it's got three main inspirations first one is the way that the rest of nature organises itself, how forests and wetlands function. One of the guys that came up with permaculture, Bill Morrison, he had this epiphany in the late 50s. He's sitting there in the forest, just taking it all in. And it's like, holy, holy, wow. What are we doing? Because he's looking at these beautiful forests that don't need any fertiliser from humans. They don't need any pesticides, fungicides. They don't need any care attention from us at all. They're incredibly resilient to insect attacks to droughts, to floods, fires, you name it. I mean, often they benefit from these things and they produce an enormous amount of biomass, like way, way more biomass than the the conventional agricultural field next door produces. So Bill Mollison's epiphany was like, what are we doing? Like, this is millions and millions of years of, of excruciating research and development. That's, that's, that's resulted in this pinnacle, this amazing forest or wetland or, or mangrove system. And we're mucking around with ploughs and, and, and annual crops in a way that's degrading the system that needs huge amount of inputs and that can only really keep going if we have continued access to cheap fossil fuels. So one of the insights was, well, why don't we try and grow food? Like, why don't we model our agricultural systems on the rest of nature? So that's one of the, these, these inspirations. Another one is the way that indigenous people all around the world have been living for tens and tens of thousands of years, including the Ab- Aboriginal people of this country, who were living like just in this exquisite non-separateness with these landscapes and maintaining, stewarding these extraordinarily sophisticated and productive mosaics of wetlands and grasslands and woodlands, moving in sync with the animals and using the simple tools at their disposal. I mean, simple in, in t- terms of the fire stick and so on, not in terms of their, um, the, the, the spiritual side of life, etc. And part, what, part of what permaculture does is take inspiration from that. Like, we've got living proof that humans can live in sync with the systems they're part of, where in being humans, they're being nature and they're enhancing the systems they're part of, rather than trashing them, trashing the joint as is uh, humanity's sort of modus operandi today. The final inspiration is from the modern science of systems ecology and energetics and all that stuff. So it's sort of a weaving together of how nature works, how indigenous people have historically worked, and and some of the latest findings and all that. And what I thought I'd do now is I want to give you a flavor of the way I approach working with real clients on real projects, Uh, and I want to share three ways that I've learned that nature does stuff But I'm learning that humans can do as well. Does that sound okay? Okay, so I've got I've got a little prop here. This is a eucalypt seed from a massive big eucalypt up behind the house there. This is a a gum nut. I'm just trying to get a seed out of it. I've got a backup though. Alrighty, so I mean, not that you can see it, it's really small, which is part of the point. I'm asked you a question. If I, if I was to put the microphone here and click my fingers and instantaneously a full-grown massive eucalyptus tree appeared right here before me you'd freak out, right? You'd be like, oh my god what the hell just happened? Who is this guy? Like, you you'll probably go home and describe what you saw as a miracle, correct? Some of you would be like, damn! I didn't get my phone out in time no one's going to believe me. you will come back and show them and be like, yeah whatever it's, it's been there for ages. It'd be, it would be a miracle the thing is, the point is, that that exact same miracle is happening right now all around us. Every single one of those tr- these trees here is that miracle. It's just happening a bit more slowly. You with me? It's literally a miracle of creation, this incredibly sophisticated unfolding process where each of these trees, even though we sort of see it as a physical object, it's actually this incredibly dynamic process. Right now these trees, are, they've got all these roots underneath your bodies that are sucking water out of the soil and right up the column of the of the trunks into the leaves where they're meeting with the energy captured from these incoming photons and carbon dioxide that's been sucked in through pores on the leaf surfaces. And that, that energy of sunlight is being used to smash apart water molecules and, and this incredibly sophisticated alchemy called photosynthesis is generating out of these raw ingredients the basic sugars and glucose that are pumped down into the tree that about half of which become the tree and half of which support the surrounding in ecologies, in symbiosis, with trillions of um, little microbial friends, fungi and bacteria, that are surrounding all the roots and root hairs of the tree underground. They're actually surrounding the bark, and they're all over the surface of every leaf, and some of them are actually inside the, the roots of the tree and so on. Part of where permaculture starts is cultivating that sense of awe. You know, because like kids these days, like a tree, okay, yeah, whatever, I'll go back to my iPad. Around us are trees. Look down at the grass. I want you to look at a piece of grass, even pick up a blade of grass. Like a little blade of grass. I've checked and I think it's okay. I want you to look at it really closely. I want someone to tell me what they see. Like What what pattern do you see there? My piece has been chopped off by a mower. Some of you might have to get your kids involved. Tell me what you see. Like What's the layout, the configuration, the geometry or, or whatever of this? Just yell it out. Fine lines, okay, sorry, symmetry and fine lines, I don't need to yell. Okay, let's let's zoom in a little more. So yeah, there's a whole, well there's fine lines, is there only fine lines? There's a big non-fine central vein line, right? And so that's holding the thing up. But you know what you're seeing when you're seeing all those fine lines? I can see about 12 of them, I think, 10 or 12. Do you know why those are there and what those are doing? Yeah, there's a little bit of water and breathing stuff happening, but there's a, there's a more primary function that they're responsible for. It's pretty exciting. You want to hear it? What you're looking at is a 12-lane superhighway from the atmosphere to the Earth. What you're looking at, what you're holding in your hand, is a fast carbon pathway. Grass-managed in healthy combinations with animals and other plants is the planet's number one soil-building co-partner. It's the reason that the deepest and f- most fertile and richest agricultural soils on the planet were on um, land-based were always underneath perennial grasslands. So again, the grass is this miracle of creation unfolding right before us. So we're surrounded by this stuff. It's underneath us. It's around us. But you follow this path of thinking for a while, and at some point, your attention comes to the fact that you're the one looking at all this stuff, right? And I asked you again, if I, if I. I mean, this might be a bit weird, but if I had a fertilized human egg in my hand and I clipped my finger, and that turned into a full-grown adult human, again, it's a miracle, right? Yes? (laughs) (coughs) You're all that miracle. I mean, that miracle is probably happening inside some of the people here today. And so what I'm interested in is noticing that there's these processes, these processes that are creating trees and blades of grass and people and all other living organisms. What if we were to focus on those processes? What could we learn about those processes that we could then transfer to how we live and how we develop landscapes? And there's three things I've learned simply from asking that question. What are, what are the process of me becoming me and the process of the tree becoming a tree and the process of the grass becoming a grass? What do they all have in common? This is what I've discovered. You ready for this? So the first thing is that, I mean it's pretty full on if you think about it, tiny little eucalypt seed ends up being a massive great big eucalypt tree. Where does the tree come from right? Like, It's not like the, the, the wood and the minerals and the nutrients and all the stuff a tree is made of, it's not like it's compacted like in one of those big car crushes or something it's squished into a seed and you, just, you, you wet the seed and it expands out. It's not like that. So how does it work? The way it works is that the seed has inside of it, as well as an encasing shell and some food for the the embryonic plant, which is the bit that germinates and grows What that contains is this stuff, as we know, called DNA What DNA is, is this organising intelligence that stewards and guides this process, this unfolding process where the seed literally becomes a portal through which the possibility of a living tree flows into existence It sounds poetic, doesn't it? it? I think it is, but it's also super practical and I'll maybe I'll give some examples in a little bit. So that's one part of it. I mean, I'll give an example right now. So whenever I'm starting a process of working with some people on a piece of land, the first thing is, what's the DNA? What's the equivalent of the DNA? And there's two parts to it. The first part is, I'm encountering some people. Often they'll say, Hey, Dan, come and help us out. We want to grow grapes and truffles and have a great life in the country. What do we What do we do first? Maybe we should do this first. Should we do this first? What should we do first? And I say, Let's talk about what we do first later. You haven't really told me anything about who you are or what you really want. And so we enter this process where when, when I say, what do you want? And they say, blah, blah, blah. I don't treat that as what they want. I treat that as the beginning of an inquiry. And this process unfolds where we go deep into who are you really? You know, what's your essence? What brings you alive? What's the equivalent of your DNA? Why are you doing this anyway? Because unless we can tap into that and catch and store it in some sort of articulated form, you're probably going to fail. Because along the way of developing a landscape, stuff's going to go wrong. There's going to be conflicts, and tensions, and animals might die, and there might be a drought, and a fire, and a flood, um, maybe three days in a row, who knows? And unless you're in touch with why you're doing this in the first place, you're not going to have the resilience to, to ride through, to be able to reconnect with that. Why are we doing this? Oh, that's right, okay. Let's pull our undies up and get on with it, or, or whatever. Um, and so that's, that's part of the DNA of the project. The other part is in the landscape itself. And, and this, this is a core part of, landsca- of permaculture, the skill called reading landscape and ecological literacy and reading the patterns of nature. And I, I, I just love this stuff and I've had the great honor of being able to tag along with people like David Hongren who co-originated permaculture and who was a who is a master of reading landscape. Also a guy called Tom Brown Jr. who's a master of what he calls um, tracking landscape. He wrote a book called The Tracker and whatnot. But you walk around with people like that and I get this sort of tingly feeling. Like, I don't know, but it fe- I almost feel like I'm in the presence of, of something, at least in the ballpark, or a, a big step towards indigenous levels of connectivity with landscape. For example, this is what I'm talking about. I mean, this, this, this stuff, I, I once read Landscape with David Hongren for seven hours. My spinal cord was quivering for seven days afterwards. So you're walking through the landscape, and he's like this. I it, had a guy trying to film him, and it was really hard because he stops and starts all the time. But he's just kind of scanning, and he's like, oh, what's that? Is that a candle bark? He picks up a, a gum nut. Is that a candle bark or a, or a man of gum? So he's, he's here, right? And then he goes, and he looks at this massive tree. And then he looks at all 20 trees along the, um, along the creek bed. And then he'll run, he'll run 10 meters, and he'll pick up a rock, and he'll say, is that basalt or... Uh, sedimentary is that volcanic or sedimentary? Volcanic is that chemically weathered or is that rounded by the action of water over the over the over the years? And you, so you, you're here and now with this little rock, and then suddenly he's like, "Woof!" And he's like, "That's a f- six-kilometer-long, four-million-year-old volcanic plateau, and it's sitting on top of a four-hundred-million-year-old sedimentary base layer. That that, and you can see the patterns in the sedimentary soil." And, and then suddenly he takes you out, you're like four kilometres offshore 400 million years ago, half a kilometre underwater, and you're experiencing the, the sedimentary um, deposition of these land-based flood events that ultimately were responsible for this, for this rock. You know? So what's happening is, I mean, so that's David Hongren, I'll just give you a taste of Tom Brown Jr. F- far out. <laughs> he was standing in front of a class and a fox walks behind him. He could tell by the sound of the birds that it was a fox. The group like you, you see a fox walk past. He doesn't see it. Fox goes away. He turns around and he says, come over here. And he, and he points to one of the fox tracks. He says, now who can tell me more about this fox? You who saw it or me who didn't? I don't know. Can, and then he says, can you tell me its gender, its age, how full its bladder was, how full its stomach was, um, any any disabilities had, which way its head was looking, how fast it was moving, almost to the point of what it was thinking. And I've, I've seen this guy do this. Do You think that's not possible, but it turns out that human beings are built such that what we can do with our focused awareness is phenomenal. And of course, it makes sense, right? Like, how do we, how do we live before supermarkets and flush toilets and, you know, just clicking buttons to make... We, we had to be plugged in, you know, we had to know what was going on. And so through that process, we, when I'm working practically, it's about unpacking the unique character of this landscape. It's about cultivating a humble attitude of saying, who are you? sitting in this space of sacred questions like, what's going on here? What happened here? And slowly by slowly building up a deep picture of what this place is all about and what would it mean for this place to evolve in ways that it aligned with and congruent with its essence. And then the project begins where the whole point is to unfold in a way that honors the people and what they're really about and the landscape and is honest about whether or not there's an overlap as well because sometimes there's not. not, in which case it's better to like park part company, right? So does that make sense? Like this idea of, of a seed DNA-type metaphor practically applied. Okay, another thing. So this this is a really interesting one because it turns out that in every one of our minds, we've been deeply imprinted with a false idea about how to build things that have life in them. And and the way that we approach building stuff is we choose some parts and then we try to join them together to create a, a living whole often, or to create a building or whatever. We're trained as children, Today, play as children is very often, go to your room, pull open the drawer, pull out some prefabricated Lego bricks or a doll and some clothes, or whatever the case may be, these prefabricated parts, and play around with joining them together in unique configurations. Aren't I clever? I right? combine them into this spaceship or helicopter or whatever. Then we grow up and become engineers and doctors and educators, and we do the same stuff. And in permaculture, unless you're careful, you can play the same, you can fall into the same trap. You can say, okay, oh, you've got some land, great. You want to develop it, great. Right? Okay, make a list. I want a pond, a duck house, a chicken, a, a pudding green, a, a dam, a etc. You put down a list of 50 parts and you start to say, great, let's click them all together. Complete opposite of how nature works. You do not build a tree by assembling a pile of leaves, a pile of branches, a trunk, a pile of roots, and then pick them all up and join them together into the living tree. It's not how it works. I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you put it like that. But what I've found is that it's totally possible to use this kind of unfolding process as opposed to an assembling process to create phenomenally beautiful landscapes and whatever else for that matter. And so by immersing in the whole, the wholeness, the unique essence of these people in this place together, how can we unfold um, solutions and configurations that are utterly unique because they're adapted to the unique in the world specific context they find themselves in? Because you can probably all, hey Benny, you can can probably all, Identify, I don't know, if some of you on land, right? As soon as you get land, this is what happens. Every Tom, Dick and Harry, very generously, and Harriet, very generously comes and offers you free advice. You should buy this, you should do this. Oh, so-and-so's got a Japanese hot tub, you should get one of those. Blah, blah, blah. These are all parts that you're being invited to assemble. As opposed to, yeah, but what are we about and how do we... We might do some of these things, but how do we do them in a way that, that fits our context? You look at the branch of a tree, there is not another branch in the world that that, that has that shape. It's uniquely adapted to the context it finds it in because as it was unfolding, as it was emerging, guided by the DNA of that process, it was completely adapted to the forces at play. Where's the sun coming from? Where's the wind coming from? Where's the next tree? All that kind of stuff. And that's why it feels so good. It feels so kind of tensionless and just right. And what I'm finding is if you take this kind of approach and instead of trying to click parts together you unfold parts from within the fabric of the pre-existing whole system that you can create systems that fit and they, they have something like that feeling of nature which is what humans used to be able to do. A lot of the beautiful arch- traditional architecture of the world has that feeling. So this applies across the board to architecture, to permaculture, to farming, to education, to engineering, to modern development. When you think about modern development, oh my god. right, Just a whole bunch of... Parts, concrete panels, steel, glass, Click them together and so on. Okay, I must be pretty close. Yeah, two quick questions and I'll wrap it up. Or no quick questions. Okay, well, I'll wrap it up. Um, Well, thanks for listening. It's been fun. I I do hope to uh, have some actual conversations with some of you. You can connect or find out more about this kind of stuff at veryediblegardens.com.au. And to summarize, uh, a couple of take-homes would be think about those that those decisions around what you put in your mouth and what happens when it comes out of your body. And yeah, like maybe you know, just maybe explore when you're developing your backyard or your farm or w- whatever the case may be, what it might mean to to really tune in deeply into the essence or the DNA of these things and then to unfold the parts out of the hole rather than just shoving a whole lot of preformed stuff out of a catalogue together. And in my experience at least, you, the results you get are just so much better. Oh, a question, great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so you're looking at a garden, there's already stuff there. And that's one thing, there's no such thing as a blank slate. There's already stuff there. So you're always retrofitting, you're always evolving a pre existing whole system. So, yes, yeah, what I'm inviting, what the approach I've found useful is, is the first thing is just to listen and watch. But not from, in, not, not from inside through the window or not from one spot, but get out there and move around with your body. Take your shoes off and just go and have a cup of tea there. or a cup of, if, you, if, it's, if you look on some property, go and set your tent up there and then camp there. and, 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 and just, You'll discover all the stuff, learn all the stuff about it. And tune in more to what you want to be feeling in the space. How do you want it to function for you? And then through that conduit, start to hone in on, what about if we did this first? Rather than trying to draw up a master plan and, and put yourself five or ten years in the future, just be here now and focus on what will be a really good next step. And often it'll be around something like sorting out the water or access or main structures first and then coming to plants and other things later on. So, yeah, just immerse, hone in on the next step and then make the move. Do something and see what happens. And, and if you can, mock it up first, you know, like before you build a retaining, wall, will put some cardboard there and then just, oh, shit, that's way too high much easier to chop it a bit shorter with the scissors than have to take off a whole row of bricks Yeah. (laughs) Okay, thank you, thanks very much Thanks man, I love that Yes I know I said I wouldn't check in at the end, but I since realised I wanted to make three acknowledgements First one is to Peter Senge, I'll link to his quote in his work, I paraphrase a quote of his in this talk uh, which was the stuff around a seed being like a gateway through which the possibility of a, a living tree realizes itself. Thanks, Peter. I've gotten so much inspiration from that, and it's become a kind of a, a meta metaphor that I, I, I'm using in a lot of my work. Uh, the other one was it was Darren Doherty, who, in a conversation years ago, put me on to the importance of the decisions we make around what we put in our mouth and where we poo it out. So, which I play around with that idea in the talk obviously thanks Darren and finally thanks huge thanks to the Dumbo Feather magazine people organization Nathan the editor who invited me to do this talk Uh, and for the the good stuff they do I'll I'll have a link to to their website and and yes stay tuned in terms of their podcast because at some time in the near future there'll be a um, podcast episode on the Dumbo Feather podcast in which I'm having a lovely conversation with David Holmgren. Alright thanks so much for listening and catch you next time, ciao bye.